sorry for uh, <clears throat> the little delay there. I uh, my slides for this morning just got here, so <laughs> this happens. I just this isn't pretentious. I just don't know how to do it. I'm just being honest. So Tyler does it for me, and I didn't have control over them. So I was like, oh, we need to get this. anyway. Enough said. Um, I'm glad to be here. My name's Jeff. Those of you who've seen me last several weeks, I've uh, had the opportunity just to hang out with you guys, and so. This morning, they asked me to preach, so I get to have a chance to, to share with you this morning as well, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I don't know if you, Will, why don't you pop around the corner here real quick? This is Will. I don't know if you guys met Will or not. Will is uh, the director of HR and operations at the Tigard location, and so he is just here this morning. Oh, that's his twin, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you had a chance to meet Will, but uh, I just wanted you to, to know who he was, this, this beautifully strange face walking around here. Uh, but please say hi to him uh, before you take off this morning. He's going to be here till afterwards for a while, so uh, I just wanted to at least introduce you to who he was. So thanks for being here, Will. And Marcus, too. Man, two weeks in a row with him? You guys are going to be ready for him to go back, huh? Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so uh, as I said before... Um, my uh, my main role is up at Tigard, and uh, but I'm, I've been just enjoying being down here uh, with all of you. And I can tell you right now, as I was thinking through just this last this summer, I guess it's already halfway over. Sorry, um, I was just thinking about how it's just been so fun being here, and uh, I've just been so encouraged by all of you. Um, just the it, it kind of reminds me of back in Tigard when we first started Tigard and launched Tigard, and I know there's a lot of tired and endless work that's done to do a church plant and all these different things. And so um, I just want to say thanks to all of you for, for being willing to, to honestly set aside time, energy, effort, all of those different things to just be here and to be part of this. I think it's just stuff that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Um, but it's also really just another way of an expression of us to just worship God, I think. You know, in our service and our time, we're doing things that at times we don't really like to do. Um, it's just fun to have the chance to, to be able to do, to do that in a way that's, um, yeah, just honoring to him and honoring to each other, I think. And so I just want to say thanks for that. Um, I, as I said, I've gotten to know some of you. Some of you I've known for a long time, Ben. Um, and uh, it's just been something that has been fun. But what I want to do this morning is I just kind of want to tell a little bit of a story from my life um, because it fits, as I was thinking through the message this week, it fits perfectly um, and sometimes things that God has done in, in, in our lives and in through other people can just challenge us in ways that, to be honest, sometimes things that we don't understand can help us to, to see things differently. And, and I would say that through this story, I, this passage made complete sense. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But So I grew up in a family that was extremely close. Okay? I had the, the joy of being part of a family that did every holiday together. Um, we, we would do all, any event, birthday, you name it, a celebration of any sort, we, we spent time together. Some of you think that sounds tragic and horrifying, um, but it was, it, was just, it was just a part of my life growing up. I didn't know anything else. And so for, for growing up that way, um, there was one particular person in my family, though, that always, for some reason, just stuck out, and that was my grandma. Um, my grandma was just this wonderful woman, just a happy heart, somebody who enjoyed life, um, and so my brother and I would have the chance, like I said, during holidays and stuff to go over there, but also on Friday, every single Friday night, I think from the time I was born until I was finally able to stay home by myself, my, my parents would drop my brother and I off at my grandparents' house, and they would go bowling. 
they had a bowling league they were a part of. I know, time, time ago, changed, right? Um, but they would always drop us off there. And we get to sit there, we eat dinner with them. And then after dinner, my grandma would just take time away from whatever she was doing, and she would sit down and read to us. Or um, we would play games, Candyland, Tiddlywinks, all these different, different things. We would, we would just spend time with her and my grandpa. And, and my grandma would just, just be there. She would just want to be with us. It, whether it was sitting down and watching Wheel of Fortune, you know, or whatever, she would always just, like, want to be next to us and near us. And so these are just these fond memories I have of my grandma from, like I said, the time I can back to even when I can just start remembering things. But it was probably when I was 9 or 10 when I just noticed a little bit of change in my grandma. And I, I, what I mean by that is, is that she wasn't able to do the things that she used to do before. And as a 9 and 10-year-old, you're like, okay, you don't think about it. But looking back now, I, I clearly can put these pieces together. And, you know, she, she had gotten uh, to a point where, you know, it was hard for her to walk around and when we would come over, she would, she, would sit in, she would be sitting in her chair silently, and she'd have this little rubber ball, and she would be squeezing it in her hand and pushing it around. And again, I didn't understand. But it came to a point where we finally realized that my grandma's body had basically been taken over by arthritis. And those of you that have had loved ones or people or even yourself know that arthritis is just one of those things that's just painful all the time. And, and she had it so bad. It was in her feet, in her legs, in her ankles, her hands, her wrists, her shoulders, her neck, and it was to the furthest extent possible that any movement really was painful for her. Getting shoes that fit, to be able to put shoes on, um, to even find a, a shirt or something that had a zipper or, a, you know, even pulling over, all of these things were extremely painful for her. And it finally even got to a point that, you know, walking, she would just basically shuffle. She couldn't pick her feet up. She would just shuffle everywhere. My grandpa had to help her into the car. She couldn't clean the house as well as she used to. She, she, she just became, you know, kind of, in a way now, a shell of herself in a lot of ways. And so watching this, you know, over, over the years of my life, you know, to see her go from this, you know, active person, if you will, to a point where, you know, really just had to sit and kind of, you know, just sit there and, and not be able to do a whole lot was, was something that, like, really weighed on my life and weighed on us. And I talked to my mom about it this week, and you know, we had moved away and, and different things, and it got to a point, like, I guess, towards the last couple of years of her life that she would get to a point where she would just say it was too tough to get out of bed in the morning. And, um, you know, some of you are sitting here thinking, like, Jeff, man, we just came up with this worship time, and you're sharing this, like, morbid, if you will, or just depressing story with us, you know? And, and, and you know, the reason I, I want to do it is not only does it connect with it, but I want to bring out the realities that a lot of us have experienced things like this in our life, Right? We've gone through experiences with a family member, us personally, a loved one, someone, a coworker, a friend, where we've experienced these types of situations, and to be fair, sometimes even worse, right? Where, where we get to a point where the, the, that we recognize that this is something that's just hard to go through. And, you know, I, I can tell you that as we walk through these different experiences, and we've, we've experienced these similar things, this, as I said, this morning's passage in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 and following, I believe that, that this is the perfect passage to help address some of these things. As Jesus is going through his ministry here, it's almost as though he sets this aside as an encouragement for all of us, no matter where we are in place and circumstances and burdened by the things of life. You know, as we go through this passage this morning, what I want us to do is, is that I want us to almost recall some of these areas that we're burdened. 
You know, I don't know if it's a, a situation where there's a potential sin in your life where unfortunately you just aren't able to shake it. Or, or maybe it's a situation where you've been rejected by a loved one. You've been rejected by a family member, a friend or something. I don't know if it's some of you that are just even sitting here questioning where you are in life and all of the circumstances surrounding where you are. But what I want to do is, as I said this morning, I just want us to, these burdens, these things that we're feeling, I want us to just draw them out. And I want us to, have, to take time to think about these and consider these things and, and to acknowledge that, that as, the, as we stand here in the presence of this God that we just sang songs to, that he's the only one that knows those things. And he's the only one that can set us free of those things. You know, the past few months as we've been looking through this book of Luke, as we've been spending time thinking through this and looking at this narrative that Luke is, is shaping through the life of Jesus, the one thing that we clearly see is this, that Jesus has come to do what? To set the captive free. Jesus has come in his whole ministry and his life, his calling of why he came to begin this new kingdom on earth was what? To set the captives free. To set us free. Set us free from the, the bondage that we have in our sinful lives and set us free from the bondage of the law and these different things. But it can only happen at the feet of Jesus and only him. And so if you have your Bibles, like I said, I want you to open to Luke chapter 13. If not, they are going to be up here behind us. And, and we're going to spend some time in this passage this morning. It says in Luke chapter 13, 10, it says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now do you see why my grandma came to mind as I was thinking about this? But it, we, we know that it says here that Jesus was in the synagogue. He go, again, he's traveling throughout this area, and he's going from place to place performing miracles, and he'll go to the synagogue and teach. And this specific passage should draw us back to Luke chapter 4, where Jesus, for the first time, is going into the synagogue to teach the people of God. And as he's going there, what does he do? This is the first time he proclaims that the Holy Spirit has come on him to go forth and to perform miracles, to preach the word of God, and to set the captives free. And so here we see that Jesus is going back into the synagogues, and he's going to go, and he's going to spend time teaching these people about what the Spirit of God had commissioned him to do. And we see that while he's teaching here, that he recognizes this woman who has this disabling spirit. Now, if you've had it for 18 years, and you were coming to the synagogue every single week, probably during the week, during the time, this whole community of people would have recognized and known this woman, okay? And would have known that she was somebody who had this debilitating uh, spirit, if you will, inside of her that was just something that they were used to. But Jesus obviously sees this woman, and immediately, what does it say he does? He recognizes that there is something, a disabling spirit that this woman has. Now, what I want to do is, is I want to bring this out real quick, because the, the, the Luke specifically identifies this disabling spirit as different from somebody that just has a physical ailment, Okay. He even uses the same wordage in some ways as what we see back a few chapters when he's taught Jesus' encounter with the, the demoniac okay, at the garrison. And, and what I mean by that is, is that there is something deeper happening within this woman than just simply that she has arthritis or a physical ailment. Okay? There's obviously some of those things, right, by her hunched over. But there's something going on inside. And, 
It's a similar along the lines of that, that she was socially accepted and stuff, so it's different from what we saw in the de- demoniac, okay, who was crazy and was outcast from society. But what we know is, is that she is probably someone that has been inflicted along the lines of what Job went through, right? That, that, that was just inflicted and afflicted by all of these different things that were happening. And so we see here that this woman has definitely very something unique going on with her. And it says in verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hand on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Wow. You want to talk about a transition in someone's life. This is it. This is one of these moments in scripture as you read through it, hopefully as you're you know, just processing through things that you take a step back and you go, wow, this is an act of God. Someone's life, literally, both spiritually and physically, has changed, a 180, if you will. Just completely different lifestyle from here on out. And what I want to do is, is I, want to, I want us to see this, a little bit of a difference here in, in how Jesus addresses her. This woman, unlike we've seen in several other parts, isn't coming to Jesus to be healed. It doesn't say that, right? She's not coming to, to secretly grab his cloak, or she's not asking him to heal her. What we notice is Jesus encounters her. Jesus takes the time to go to her and invite her over to him. And in front of the presence of all in the synagogue, we see here that Jesus is going to teach not only her, but also the crowds that are watching a very, very important lesson. And Jesus calls her over, and he verbally tells her that she has been healed. But what's fascinating here is is he does the second thing, right? If you know anything about Jesus, Jesus doesn't even need to say anything. He can think something, and someone's healed, right? Somebody could brush his garment and he's healed. He doesn't have to touch. He doesn't even have to verbally say something. But two times here, he does two unique things. He verbally says something, and he also places his hand on her. Jesus is very uniquely and specially here, showing something very important to the crowds and to her, that he cares about her. Those that are outcasts, those that are hurting, those that are, that, that are in a place of, of, of horrible predicament, that Jesus himself cares about her. And her, at this moment, she's the only person that's important to, her, to him at this moment. And we see here that, the, that as Jesus does this, he frees this woman of this disability and this, de, de, you know, this debilitating spirit that's inside of her. And, and she's free. For the first time in her life, she is able to see clearly, if you will, Right? And I mean both physically, but more importantly, spiritually. What has Jesus done? He's done exactly what he said in Luke chapter 4 he came to do, to heal people and to set the captives free. And what's this lady's response? The response that every single one of us should have, right? When we see someone's life truly changed, she rejoices. She recognizes that this is a work of God. This is some powerful, authoritative work that Jesus has just accomplished to literally change her life in front of all these people, and she just glorifies God. You know, I just want to take a second real quick and, and to acknowledge that, you know, some of you, as I said before, are experiencing these painful situations right now. Some of you are going through them themselves, family members. And, and what I want to do is, is I want to encourage you that, that despite whether we have an encounter like this happen to us and someone's healed, We have to continually recognize, though, that God is the only source of healing. We have to continually push our trust on him. We have to continually step back and recognize and acknowledge his presence and and constantly be seeching him on behalf of others in these situations, whatever they are. 
Because Jesus is the only one that can set it free. He's the only one that can heal us of these circumstances. You know, as you, as you, you hear this story, you know, you're, you're on this, this high, right? This is so exciting. The story is rad. Well, verse 14, right? It says, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. So as soon as this, this thing happens, this lady's praising Jesus, the crowd is in awe, and this ruler of the synagogue steps in and goes, hey, hey, quiet down. Jesus, man, what you just did, you just broke the law. You don't talk about a buzzkill, right? I mean, this is like way to, like, in a st- you're watching this great movie, and right before it gets to the most important part, someone pauses it, I gotta go to the bathroom. I mean, th- this is kind of the encounter we see here, right? And, and the ruler of the synagogue, okay, was, his whole function was essentially to be the law enforcement agency for the, the worship of the law, or the, the, the law. And, and, and here, he's doing that. He's calling Jesus on something. But what's fascinating about it is, is that if this is a ruler of the synagogue, they're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the congregation. They're supposed to be the ones that are leading the charge in making sure people are understanding what God is actively doing. They're the ones that are looking for the Messiah in order to fulfill all of these laws, right? In some ways, yes, doing their job. But what their failure to do is is that they've taken the law of God and they've made it illegal and legalistic in its intent. And they stopped looking for the true source of the law. The true source of the law was lost in this whole time. What we see here is this Jesus in, in verse 15 addresses this. He said, then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As Jesus does how many times throughout the Gospels, he calls them on their own, you know, he calls them on it. He immediately just goes back to them and he calls them on what they're trying to get him on and catch him on. The difference is that who's the originator of the law? God, right? Who's the one that's actually at breaking the law according to them? God. He's the author of it. He can do whatever he wants. He's not bound by anything, one. But secondly, in and through the Messiah, as Jesus comes, he is doing something that is greater, if you will, than the law. You see, these Pharisees had lost, or these, these rulers of the synagogues had lost the intent of why God had set it up to begin with. They, they completely had lost the reality of what it was that Jesus and what God had set up back in the day. And he calls them hypocrites. And in this case, you know, it's, it's someone that says one thing and does another. And he's calling them almost spiritual hypocrites here, right? They're trying to spiritually uphold the law, but they've forgotten all about what the intent and what God had established for the law to begin with was for. It was for him. It was for him to be glorified and for him to do the works of bringing people to this place of being set free. So Jesus calls them on this. And he even calls them on this idea of this oxen and this this idea of this water and going out in the feed. And and what I mean by that is, is that if you study the law, what would happen was it would be terrible, right? Wouldn't it? If you had an animal and you didn't feed it or water it on, an, on one day. That's not okay, right? And he's saying, you have an oxen, right? You have a donkey. You have a horse. You have something that in the morning before you walk out, what do you do? You unloosen it from being bound in the manger so it can go feed. 
That's an act of work. And you're calling me on helping someone's life be changed? I don't think so. That's not how it works. So Jesus is just trying to bring it back to them so they can see the realities of this. And as Jesus calls them here on this, we see here that his, the important part for him is that, that this child of God, this person that's from the, the house of Abraham, this, this woman is more important in some ways to be healed than all the rest of this stuff. Because it's an aspect of setting someone free in worship than what he's done. And it says in verse 17, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Mic drop, right? It's the people's response, right, that, that causes this. They, they, they cower or they walk out in shame. They know that they ultimately are not focusing on what God had really set them out to do. And what we see, more importantly, is the people's response, right? They rejoiced alongside with this woman and what Jesus had done. They aligned themselves fully with this idea that this is important to allow us to have the opportunity to stand in the presence of God and recognize that his work is more important than what it is that essentially we want to keep and we want to put on forth. And I think it's just fascinating, you know, it just that we take time to think about this, you know. We know that keeping the Sabbath is a very good endeavor. Even then, it is now. That we take a pause, right? That we take time out of our routines to come here on a Sunday morning or, or however you Sabbath and worship the presence of this amazing, holy, powerful God. That we have this time where that is our intention and our focus. That we just stop and reflect. But I would say that, as Jesus is teaching us as well, is that we can't just completely close our eyes in these moments. That in worshiping him, it could be the sense of showing other people what it means to fully be freed from because of what Jesus has accomplished in and through us. You know, as we see so many other times throughout the scriptures, as we've recognized, you know, many times that Jesus doesn't stop. Everything he does is intentional, right? He, he constantly is in the process of trying to teach the people that are following him. And Jesus doesn't stop here. After this great experience of freeing, uh, freeing them, th- this woman and, and showing this congregation what it means to, to follow along with what God is doing, we see here that Jesus uses some parables here to explain the bigger purpose of what he's trying to do. And as I said before, Jesus came on this earth to usher in the kingdom, right? We know that Jesus' presence of what he is going to accomplish and then further on is establishing his father's kingdom, right? It's building on that. And what we see here is in these two parables is that Jesus is going to explain it for the people there and for us to understand. And he says in verse 18, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And and, and Jesus uses these word pictures, if you will, from these people's uh, full society and understanding. And what he does is he talks about this mustard seed and this mustard tree, okay? And what I've done is I got a picture here of kind of showing you what a mustard seed would look like, okay? I don't know. I've never planted one myself, okay? I looked it up on the internet, Googled it. And this is this, this idea, okay, of a mustard seed. It's extremely small, am I right? That's, that's, that's a very, very tiny seed, okay? And what Jesus is showing them is, is that this, this mustard seed that was planted in the ground would develop into this massive tree, right? Now, most of them don't get that big, I understand. 
But the point Jesus is making is from that tiny little seed until it gets to be this massive tree, it's going to take what? Time. It's going to take some time. And, and, and that's what he's saying is, is this kingdom, that, this, this, this ministry, this, this kingdom that I'm starting to usher in is very small right here, okay? But it's going to take time to get to the point where, where Jesus finally returns and it's this massive, massive thing that he is going to accomplish to the point that all people, the birds, right, can come in and find shelter. They can find rest. They can find the presence of this God and his kingdom. He doesn't stop there. He goes on and says a different one. And he says, and again, he said in verse 20, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hidden three measures of flour until it was all leavened. We know that Jesus, again, uses another common analogy to their day, bread. It was everything. It was life to these people. And he says, you know, this idea of, of bread is you take this, 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 I think, massive section of three measures of flour. That would have been kind of foreign to them. Three measures of flour makes enough bread for 100 people, okay? That's not common for them. They were making enough just to sustain their family, right? But he says to make this picture that big, right? He's, he says, it's like you taking these three measures of flour and you have a tiny, teeny little bit of yeast. What's going to happen? As it attacks those sugars, what's going to happen? It's going to It's going to get huge. I have a picture of bread to make you guys hungry. So. But it's this idea that Jesus is exp- explaining that, look, it's going to start really small right here, what we're doing. What I'm accomplishing right now, it's small. Okay? But as people start to come and as they are, are allowing the Spirit of God to set them free, they're not going to stop telling others about what it is that Jesus is coming to, to accomplish. And it's funny, some 40 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, what happens? We see that, the, that this idea of Christianity explodes, right? The kingdom is going forth. We see that it's not only in just the Roman provinces, but it's two places on the ends of the earth, right? It's starting to take the shape and form. He's saying whether it's two years or 2,000 years, just know that what I'm doing isn't just this small little thing for just this lady. It's huge, and it will get to that point. But there's patience to continually seek God in and through these things. As I said before, Jesus, in what he does and how he uses this, these moments, he wants them to understand the promise of this fulfillment of this kingdom that is going to come, and the peace and the joy and the healing that will only come and take place in and through what he is trying to accomplish on, his behalf, on our behalf through his ministry here. You know, this then allows us to come back to this idea that there really then shouldn't be anything that entangles us or burdens us outside of what God already knows is happening in our lives. I'm going to come back to my grandma for a second here. You see, my grandma, when she was walking through these horrible experiences in life, you know, one thing that I can honestly tell you I recognized the most was this, is that she was never healed, right? What I read in this story, it stopped. She spent the rest of her life, about seven years ago when she finally passed away, experiencing some of the most crucial, unbelievable, incessant pain that anybody could ever experience. She was never healed. What's the hope in that? It's because throughout her entire life, my grandma set this perspective in her heart and in her mind. She knew that Jesus had set her free, that no pain in life was going to stop her from allowing God 
to be the present and constant influence in her heart and in everything that she did. And even when she was sitting there on her, you know, the last few years of her life, the thing that she kept coming back to was this. I'm just here to pray for you guys. God has me still here. I wish so bad to be up in heaven with your grandpa. But I'm still here because I want to be here to pray, to be an influence, to do whatever it is. Man, how many times I heard out of her mouth that even in the most moments of her pain, I'm just praying for you that God would use you to change people's lives. I'm praying that my neighbor would come to a saving relationship with Jesus. You see, my grandma didn't do anything. She was just felt in the presence of God and knew that Jesus already knew. Let me just say this. There's nothing you can do to try to get through these circumstances, right? You can't even try to allow Jesus to set you free. It's already something that he's willing and ready to do. And what I'm asking each of us to do, myself included, as I've been through this, is that I don't know what your burden is. I don't know what it is that's distracting you. I don't know what it's something that's causing pain in your life. I don't know if it's a sin. I don't know if it's feeling rejected. You're not sure what's going on in life. Here's the thing. God already knows. He's just standing there, ready to set you free. Some of you may not even have a relationship with Jesus that is here this morning. And I want to tell you right now, right now, he is waiting to set you free. What his son has done on the cross for each one of us has already accomplished everything. It's been done. And we can stand here with all of these things and, and we can, as it says in another part of scripture, is that we can cast all of these things at his feet, right? All of our burdens, our anxieties. At his feet, right? And he will do the work, right? Now, the timing may not always be what we want, right? It may take a little longer. It may, it may allow us that he wants to teach us things sometimes that, that sometimes we're not aware of right away. But I would tell you right now that this is what God desires from every one of us. And as Luke, as we've gone through this book and we've seen time and time again, this is what Jesus is doing as he's ushering in the kingdom. He came on this earth to establish this, that I am here to set the captive free. It's my job. I've done it. I've accomplished it. And we just need to be ready to be used by him in the presence of all of these witnesses, right, to be able to be used. And I think for us, the best way that we can do that is to just feast at the table, right, to come into his presence and to to recognize that what Jesus accomplished when he died and he rose again and his blood was shed was to free us that we can be standing here right now as children of God and this new identity that he has allowed us to experience. There's joy in it. There's excitement. And there is this passion that together we can go forth and we can share of what God is accomplishing in and through the lives of each individual that's in this room. I just want to tell you that this is an encouragement. As I said before, that's what this passage is. Yeah, it's going to bring up some painful things. But I'll tell you right now, to hear the beauties, the stories of reflection and the stories of change that God can do when we are there and recognizing what he is doing in and through us will blow away this congregation. And I do believe in this Sherwood, the city of Sherwood, because each person here is special, is a special child of God that shows out from everybody to be part of his family. And let's spend time this morning as we worship, as Marcus comes back down and we sing some of these songs that, that we can actually take time in front here, or wherever, in your seats, 
that we can remember what it is that Jesus has done for us. And if this is your church, you can give to the work and ministry here to see that go forth. But that we would be able to spend time just in ourselves. Maybe it is what Mark talked about last week, confessing some sins. Maybe it's an area of coming to the Lord and recognizing the glorious things that he has accomplished for us. But let's just spend some time right now in this reflection process of worship to our Lord. Dear God, thanks so much for who you are. God, I thank you so much for the people that are here. I thank you so much for my grandma's life and just the testimony and the legacy that she set for all of her family of what it means and despite the pain that she has, that she recognized, God, that you were the ultimate source of freedom and you set her free and you set those that believe in him free. Thanks again so much for who you are. In your gracious name we pray. Amen.